Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, coming to you on this beautiful Monday evening here in Atlanta, Georgia, calling my friend Tracy from 2,000 miles away. Tracy, how are you today? I'm really good, Dave. That was Thank like you. my I'll attempt at like kind of a radio voice. Did it work out well? I can do a radio voice very good myself. Pretty great. I think I'm a little better. Thank you very much. Yeah, you've got you know the, a lot of people. Yeah, you've got those Casey got Kasem the, jeans. Yeah, see, people don't know that yeah. I that I wrote I wrote Casey Kasem's American Forty for a couple of years, and, and then apparently uh, voiced it. And then Shadow Stevens. That's Shadow Stevens. I'm doing Shadow Stevens more than that. Yeah, this is Shadow Stevens. Yeah, yeah. a little more husk to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're out here in California. We're on the eve of football. Spring practice started. That we are. That we are. But let's not talk about that. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the basketball, basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for seven and seventeen, Chipper. We'll talk about you in a little bit. Uh, are we trying? Are we? Do you know how it's detrimental to us not to be positive about the basketball program? I mean, it's it's just self defeating. What you we're mean doing. the football program? Sorry, the football program. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. No. Football. Football. Football is what pays the bills, even at a basketball school. I Someone was asking me that on the site, and I, I remember, um, yeah, even when Allen was going to the Final Fours, it really didn't move the needle that much. It's 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 football. But I got – you know what? I always get to start off with a Ben Allen story. I don't know if I've told this one. Have I told this one about lunch before? You might have. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You've told it to me, but I don't know if you told it with the listeners out there. So please share your story. So, Tracy, when I'm going to Final Fours and winning, you're making more money. Well, Ben, yeah. I mean, most of the time, I mean, that's the way it works. So you're making a lot of money off me. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but yeah. Okay, so you're buying me lunch today. <laughs> ben, aren't you on like a... Uh, expense account? Hmm, yeah, but I'd like you to buy me lunch. You're making money today. Okay. So then he'd forget that. And then two months later, hey, you never bought me that. You're buying me lunch today. (laughs) And the truth of the matter is, kind of not really, Ben. Kind of not really. I miss Ben. I miss Ben, too. Okay. Um, But uh, if you did miss Ben, if you did miss Howland, uh, the last, I don't know, six weeks, Pretty good Ben Howland 2006 impression. I'll say that. I would say that. I would say that, even though it's kind of taking away from what our friend Mick Cronin is, you know, that it's him doing it and not Ben. But it kind of feels a little, it's just, there's a lot of things that make it feel similar. Yeah. Right. So the, similar, but um, different in one key facet. Um, the similar part is just to give the facts to everyone out there. UCLA is 11 and 2 over the last 13 games. Um, done it largely with defense. Um, they've really turned it on since the Stanford loss. Um, we talked about it in the last show, but the insertion of David Singleton replacing Prince Ali in the starting lineup, those are that's two key things. Um, one, the replacement of Prince Ali may be even more important. Um, and then Jalen Hill um, coming in, and I think that's turned out to spark Cody Riley. Um, those two things and the commitment to defense have really changed the complexion of the season. 
And it reminds me quite a bit of how the end of the 2006 season went when UCLA then went to a Final Four. The big key difference is that 2006 team was never as bad as this team was through the first 17 games. Like, this was... This is the thing I still can't really wrap my head around. This team was bad. Like, not just average, treading water, highs and lows. No, they were awful at the 17-game mark. And then they became... uh, Sagarin's ratings, which match my eye test, have them as the 14th best team in the country in his recent rating. They look like a top 15. What number? What number? 14th. 14th. So he has a recent rating, which heavily weights... Games that are recent. That's what it, what the name means. Um, so the last 17 games, they look like a top 15 team suddenly. That happened right. overnight. Like it just happened. One game, they look like the team that lost to Fullerton. And the next game, oh, they're a top 15 team now. What? Yeah, really. Yeah. But as we know, it wasn't overnight. And if you listen to Ben, uh, ben oh my God, sorry. Wow, you're going to do you, it. I know that was bad. Can we start over? No. Never. Um, if you listen to Mick Cronin's uh, interview post game, how he described it was really was really interesting. Um, he said we were practicing really well, but before North Carolina, which is wow. Just just can you feel what it must be like to have been a coach to be him or on his staff? When they're practicing well and you think they're getting better and then they go out and play like that, I mean, then it takes a couple of more weeks before you start seeing it on the court. But that's, you know, that's usually the way things work, right? You got to keep working and keep plugging at it. And then. Well, and and also if you, I mean, well, one thing that he, he hasn't talked about is the lineup shift as like a spark, but. Look, they, they they played one more bad game with David Singleton replacing Prince Ali, and then it's been nothing but good games since then, more or less, aside from, you know, Oregon and ASU. So I think he's underselling a little bit of his lineup shift. Um, he did make a big switch in personnel that I think it's it's gone unacknowledged a little bit by the head coach, which is fine. Look, we all, you know, everyone's got their different view of things, but... When I'm looking at this season, it was it was that personnel shift that really sparked this whole thing. Well, in one interview, he did give David Singleton a lot of credit. I, I just don't think he wants to keep emphasizing. He doesn't want to bash. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to beat down Prince Ali. I, I mean, I, from what I've heard, the staff likes the kid. He just doesn't have that fire. You know, yeah. he just doesn't have it in him. Um, yeah. So... I understand that that he's not necessarily saying that. Hey, what I want you – we'll talk more about the team. But what I want you to, to explain to me are the net rankings. Uh, they're nonsense. I want, to exp- I want you to explain what happened like today, right? Okay, In so the, the, the one thing I would say is they follow they track generally with how Ken Palm is rating the teams but it is a different metric with a lot of different stuff going on they are factoring in win percentage a ton in a few different areas um the home away split seems to be having an inordinate effect the fact that they lost at home to a very bad team seems to be very much weighing them down i mean that fullerton loss is atrocious um not too many turns but should I get how that would hurt thing, 
But it's at not this even, point, that's with, that's tanking them. Like that's that's a huge anchor around them right now. Right, but now, shouldn't it? Uh, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. Just slap me. But you, shouldn't things be inching up? Like yeah, as it, they okay, it, they should. Um, so, but there are still other things going on with their different resume points. As UCLA is beating other teams. Washington is tanking even more than they were tanking before. Colorado is tanking. Um, Arizona, the team they just beat, is not playing particularly well of late. Um, ASU suddenly, right after they lost to UCLA, they went and lost to USC. Um, They're having some bad things happen right at the same moment. And I think the overall weight of that is bringing them down. um, And they're not getting these bump ups from the wins that they probably should like in theory Arizona's a quad one win even if you beat them at home so you would think a ranking system that values that sort of thing would be boosting them from that but it's just not working out like that I I I have to imagine there's some issues with that formula I don't think they're designed I don't think the net system I don't think the Ken Palm system are designed to take into to overly weight um recent results um, so I think that's partly playing into it. They're weighting all games more or less equally. So the Arizona win is nice, but this is the team that still lost to Cal State Fullerton, and those games have equal value for this system, like in terms of okay. what they mean. Just to explain it to everyone, UCLA swept this last weekend yeah. against a quad one win, right? And yeah, what's a, Arizona a quad, State? a quad one win and a quad two win. And they went down. No, they went the even. They were 76. Oh, they, did? they went up to 75, and then they went back down to 76. So they ended up netting it even. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, when I looked at it, it said they had gone down one. They, they'd gone down. They do the rankings like every day, I think, or every other day. Um, so Got they, it. they had gone up after ASU and then down again. Got it. Um, uh, so Arizona it, went up. Yeah. I think. With two losses, they went up to 10. So this is a matter that all of, like, Arizona's opponents did a little bit better and just tweaked their score a little bit better. So Arizona, even with two losses, went up, right? Yeah, Basically. but I want to be clear. This is a stupid system. Like, it's a really <laughs> bad system. Like, the Ken Palm thing, at least I get. It's pure efficiency and all that kind of stuff, and... You're just not going to – there aren't going to be big shifts upward towards the end of the season. It just – it takes it, – it's like moving a, a, a battleship by the time you get this deep into the season, and I get that. This system, with what it's designed to do, you've got to be able to be flexible enough to catch a late-season surge because that happens so often in the NCAA tournament pursuit where a team suddenly gels in conference play and makes a big run – and you've got to have a system that's flexible enough to take that into account because what you have now is not something that's ideal for a system that wants to be seen as legitimate, which is all of these writers and people posting about the sport and writing about the sport saying, wow, UCLA is one of the best teams in the country. I'm going to rank them in my AP top 25. And UCLA not budging from like 80 <laughs> to 75, like just not moving at all. That's not a flexible enough system. That, that, that's it's- a system that's not working properly. Because, I mean, this, let's just, let's just, you and Dave, you and I should just make some basic sense. 
The team that's playing now is the one that would play in the Pac-12 in the NCAA tournament, as opposed to the one that was playing in November and December. Yeah, and I'm fine. so what I posted uh, on the board the other day is I'm fine with splitting the difference. Like right now, UCLA is playing like a top fifteen team, which would mean a four seed. Um, but you still have to absolutely knock them for Fullerton. So if they yeah. win out. If they won out and beat USC and then sweep through the Pac-12 tournament, which I think is a legitimate possibility, I think they'll be the second favorite for the Pac-12 tournament um, after Oregon. Um, if they did that, I would probably say five seed, which is good enough right. that you're acknowledging that they are truly one of the elite teams right now and they have a chance to win it. Um, but you're also saying... You can't just win to lose to Fullerton and get a protected seat in the West. Sorry, and that's not going to happen, right? I, I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna compromise with like a twelve seat. Yeah, I mean, do. what it'll end up being if they won out, they're not going to get a twelve seat. It would be like a seven, probably. But I think they could go high end five, and that would be a completely legitimate thing, and probably underseeds how they would be playing at that point if they truly do win the next four games, because that'll be. What eleven straight wins, including at least yeah. six or seven over quad one teams. I was I wasn't saying they'd they I wasn't basing it on winning like out. <laughs> I was I think you know realistically we might see a slip up here in the next you know between USC and the Pac twelve tournament. And if we do, they end up like a twelve. Well, if they lose to USC and they lose in the first round of the, of the Pac twelve tournament, they might be out. Like they I, might be out. I don't know if they get yeah. in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It it's <laughs> I remember a day when I thought the N, the NCAA tournament committee maybe it was just a figment of my imagination but I, I remember people always saying that they this I think this when did RPI come into effect? I think it was before RPI and they were they used to wait how a team was playing at the end of the season. RPI used to have that metric built into it. It was the last 10 okay. games. Um, what was your record over the last 10 games? Would you say the RPI or net? What would you say is better? Um, I don't know. Probably uh, RPI made – RPI, I think, made less analytical sense maybe. Like there was less of an efficiency formula behind it. But I want to say it captured these late season surges a lot better than the net does. Okay. Um, so from my bias ever, perspective right now, I would say the yeah. RPI. Has there, how many teams have made the NCAA tournament and had an RPI like mid seventies? Mm, I don't know. Can't be much. I don't know. No idea. As an at large, I have no idea. Yeah. But. Okay. So we killed that. Yeah. We <laughs> killed it dead. Um, so yeah. So the Arizona sweep, I thought ASU was a better game overall, um, and they really one of the best games I've seen in a long, just watched in a long time. Just not so from an fun. entertainment value, not just from that, but from a played and coached uh, angle too. Yeah, Bobby Every, Hurley's I, honestly, Bobby Hurley really impressed me in that game. Like the he sets the he, hell was, out of that the game. Sets he was calling yep. to get Edwards open for those threes were just like wow. Yep. yep. Um. But you've got that, and then just that Hawkins three at the end was just, oh, it was just a gorgeous game. Um, and then Arizona was an absolute hideous slugfest. Um, I think UCLA shot like 
90 free throws, something like that. Yeah, About right? Something ridiculous. Yeah. Estimated? It was 90. Um, but it, it really, the only thing that really made it for me, it was an ugly game. Um, but Sean Miller losing his entire, <laughs> entire goddamn mind in that game was really something to behold. How could we have known that you, I mean, have you come out before and, and showed any displeasure or distaste for Sean Miller in the past? Never. Not once. Yeah. Not once. So this is your first coming out. Yeah, this is my first time. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, that was one of, I think, the the craziest things I've seen. Like, just, and I, I maybe I shouldn't even say that because that's kind of pejorative because I do mean it literally. Like, <laughs> things were not looking good. I'm going to for- say I'm going to say something pejorative. I'm going to say something insulting, but I want to make sure it's not pejorative. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean it literally. Like, and I'm, I'm trying yeah, not to like be like whatever, yeah. like ableist to people who actually have mental problems. But like, stuff's going on with Sean there. Like, he started. Yeah. I, were you at the game or were you watching on TV? I was at the game. So one of the TV timeouts. So right after Jules Bernard hits that three, um, right after he got the steal, and then he hits the three. Uh, Miller calls a timeout and he just starts laughing like maniacally, like just kind of yeah. looking around laughing right after he calls the timeout and not in like a rueful way, but in kind of a manic way. And it gave He's me done the, that before. It gave me He's the heebie jeebies, man. Like it really yeah. kind of freaked me out. Yeah, we got is there a there's got to be a gif of that, right? Someone sent us a gif. It wasn't good. Um, but and then obviously the blow ups, but I. Man, that was not a good look on on TV. Not a good look. No. And and you know, I understand I understand when a coach goes crazy sometimes with bad officiating. Absolutely. I I, I understand. But it was good officiating. But it was good. Like they <laughs> when, the block when they was showed good. the re- when they showed the replay of that block, that was about the cleanest the ball was so extended away, he was clean on the body. And he extended out, and there was there was no chance he could have like grazed his elbow or his arm, and he got all ball with no body. <laughs> it was crazy, and uh, so he did that. And I, honestly, so I didn't think it was a well officiated game in the like second half in particular. They started calling a ton of just light touch fouls, just light touch foul, yeah. light touch foul. And I think, honestly, I thought it was a decently called game before Miller blew up the first time. I think the refs got rattled by it. Like, I think they were like, what just happened? That was insane. Yeah, I think so, too. I think they got rattled. They started overcalling, and they they made some bad calls on both sides. I thought there were a couple of bad calls against Arizona in the second half. Absolutely, but like what Nick said... He said it in a way without insulting the refs. It was being called a certain way, and you have to adapt how you play and coach given how the game's being called. Yeah, yeah, and, a big, yeah and a big part for Arizona is that they stopped, especially in those last 10 minutes, they stopped forcing the issue. And I think their their coach actually owned up to it afterwards. He said, we had a really good thing going with Nico trying to take Tiger off the dribble and just create, um, and then we kind of went away from that. Um, and why? Why would anyone go away from that? I, that's That was insane. Well, I, there was one thing that happened. David Singleton switched on to him for like two minutes when Tiger got some yep. rest in that stretch. And Singleton did a really nice job um, on him. And then when 
Singleton went off of him and Tiger came back into the game, they just never got back to attacking it at that level. It was it was odd. And the, the coach basically said, I stopped. I, I just I should have kept calling the same sets. Um, and I didn't because it was, right. you know, it wasn't the head coach and they're calling the game. Um, yeah. So. But but honestly, I mean, I don't think you need like necessarily high level coaching ability to, to recognize to the mismatch and keep abusing it. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and you know what? And Tiger were like, you know, semi knocking him right there. He's played just gutty and not to overuse wow. the gutty word, but gutty basketball the last two games. Cause he looks exhausted. Um, is playing some really tough defensive minutes because he's had two bad matchups the last couple of games. And then offensively, he's basically doing all the setup work, and they're asking him to do a lot because the defense is basically dictating that he's got to take some shots, and he has no legs. Um, But he's still somehow keeping teams honest. They're not fully playing off of him. He's still able to get some contact, not drawing as many fouls as he should, but he's still able to get some contact. Um but I've been really impressed with him the last two games, even if he has shot like three of a hundred. And the one thing I liked your review of the game. Absolutely. I, I the one thing I wanted to say though, uh, I wrote I wrote the review of the Arizona State game and how everyone kind of heroically had their chance to step up at different moments, had little sequences. Jalen Hill, obviously, uh Jaime Yaquez, uh, obviously Jake Kyman, but Cody Riley, they all had, uh, they all had their moments. Um, and I, I wrote in that article that Chris Smith is the guy who you think would be most capable of doing it. And he didn't in that, but I, I thought he did against Arizona. He, did. he had a, he like, he had a, like a two minute sequence of where he made, uh, some clutch baskets when UCLA really needed a basket when, when Tiger was exhausted and, and not able to. So I thought that was that was very encouraging just from the standpoint there any different night there can be any guy who's gonna step up and not necessarily score twenty five points, but when you need a sequence from someone, there's there's a guy there's a you know a, a variety of people who can do it. And I think the fact that Mick Cronin has recognized Cody Riley as one of those guys to be able to do it is is really one of the best coaching elements because we, you very much might have lost confidence in Cody uh, in the first I, I half. Lost, of- I lost all confidence in Cody. I didn't know. What did I say, Dave? You said he About- was going to be better than Chris Smith next year. <laughs> okay, well, maybe that's not accurate. But... <laughs> That was showing that he might have some. He might improve, right? Yeah, yeah. That would be improvement. Okay, improvement, let's go with that. Improvement. No, and, yeah. and honestly, so I went back and read our season preview um, at the beginning of the year. First, yeah, we we murdered that thing. Second, <laughs> um, all the stuff we are seeing right now was all the stuff we said. This is the only important stuff to see. Do guys improve? Do they look like they're buying in? Like, these are the critical things that we almost never saw under Steve Alford. If we see those things at the end of the first year, all the results stuff, it's not going to matter. And if we're seeing all those things, the results might take care of themselves. That's exactly how this is playing out. Like, a guy like Cody Riley going from borderline unplayable in early January 
to now it's 1A, 1B with him and Jalen Hill. I would still put Hill in just because I think when he's in, the defense takes it up another level. Um, But whatever Hill's doing out there and the choice to play Hill over Riley seems to have really sparked something in Riley because I've never seen him so committed to the defensive end. He's not going to be the athlete that Jalen Hill is. He's not going to be able to do all the things that Jalen Hill's able to do. But what's his block rate like the last, I don't know, eight games? It seems like he's always getting one or two key blocks a game now. Um, well, here's the other thing, too. When, when on defense, there are very few – I can't even remember an instance where I said, okay, wow, Cody, Cody Riley just got beaten the block right there. Yeah. I've said it. Jalen Hill's played well defensively, but there have been some times when I said, okay, Jalen Hill got beat. I haven't said that about Cody Riley to, in the post in many games. So it's not just him improving on the offensive side. He's, he's really improved defensively. And just rewinding a little to like our preview and what you said about Steve Alford teams, it's – I know everyone knows we're very, at least I am, I'm very much about defensive basketball. Um, but I think it's I think it's one of those things that, it's not one of those things, but it's when you emphasize defense and you improve a, a player defensively and then a team defensively, it's just not improving a team on one side of the court. I think being able to be focused on defense so much improves an offense too and improves the player improves his confidence improves everything about him and it's just so hard to say so many times that this player improved just because he got better offensively you need to see it on both sides of the court and that's why we can safely say that about Cronin and how he's coached his players and why we really could almost never say that too often with Steve Alford's coaching and his players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically at this point, the way I'd handicap the chances of making the NCAA tournament, if they win on this weekend, I think they're in pretty much no matter what, even a first round bounce in the Pac-12 tournament, I think the body of work at that point will be enough. Um, but yes. it might be like play in game status at that point. Um, and then if they win a couple in the Pac-12 tournament, I think you're talking like 10 to 12 seed. I think if they win out, then you're really faced with a choice committee because you are truly faced with one of the you know top 15 teams in the country at that point. Um, and it's just a question of how bold you're going to be with the seeding because the, the, the numbers will not back up the seeding. So you would have to make a bold call. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um Obviously, winning. I think winning this weekend is still must-win status. I think you've got to do that if you want any hope of an at-large. Um, but if they do that, I think that more or less secures an at-large, and then it's a question of whether you're going to get, you know, real respect with the seating or not. No, I think they could still lose against SC and then have a what a solid. If they lost to SC, they'd probably still get. Oh yeah, they guaranteed the first round, <clears throat> first round by the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. So. Win. What do you think if they lose SC, win one game in the quarter and lose in the semis? The quarter wouldn't be against a good enough team. Right. And then lose in the semis. So you don't think they're in? No, I don't think they're in at that point. 
So if they lose to SC, you think they They're have really, to win two games. So I think they got to make the final of the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, at minimum. I think if you lose to SC, you've got to basically bank on winning the Pac-12 tournament because there's so much in, like, I think this is going to be one of those narrative picks that you're not going to be able to make if you're talking about a team that lost two of its last four, which is what it would be if they lose to USC, win two, and then lose in the championship game. Um, huh. Like, okay. I think it's a narrative call when you're saying if they win out, they're 23 and 11. That's the kind of record that, uh, you know, from a conference like the Pac-12, that might get you an eight seed. Um, but if they have done that while just murdering everybody on, on the way to that, as well as like a coronation in the Pac-12 tournament where they beat Oregon after having lost them earlier in the year, then you're left with no real choice but to overseed them relative to their net ranking at that point. Um, but if they're, if they lose to a four down the stretch, then you're talking about a 21 and 13 team. The committee can leave them out and they'd be justified in doing it because that's a team that again, lost two of their last four, lost to Fullerton at the beginning of the year, lost to Hofstra, lost to North Carolina, showed some promise at the end of the PAC 12 season and want to share the PAC 12 title or came close to it, but not enough resume to, to, to break in. I, I, that would be a justifiable decision. No, I think UCLA has to win this weekend for an at-large. And if they don't do that, they have to win the Pac-12 tournament. Hmm. I'm just, you are far more data-based analytical than I am. I still am just going to say they could lose against SC, win two games, make the final and lose, and they'll still get in. Okay. Is that is that just way out there? I don't think it's way out there. I think they'll be on the bubble, um, but it really yeah. depends on who those two wins are over. Um, well, see, that's them... the thing. I, yeah, I was just looking at it right now. Let's say they're the number two seed in the tournament. Um, they then play the winner of the 10-7. Right now, 10-7 is Utah at 10 and Arizona at 7. <laughs> yeah, so they could get Arizona again on a neutral site would be another quad one win. So that would be the first game. And then the second game would be against the, what, three seed? That's, Which would be no, like ASU? Uh, yeah. Uh, the the first game, yeah. Then the second game would be a three seed. Yeah. So I think that's probably tracking to be ASU at this point. Yeah. Um, and that's not, well, on a neutral court, that might be a quad one win. Maybe. I think it's top 50 on a neutral court. <coughs> yeah. And then it would be another quad one win and or quad one loss in the uh, championship game, assuming it's Oregon. So maybe I don't know. I, I'm having a harder time seeing that one just because 21 and 13 has an entirely different ring to it. Um, that feels extremely bubblicious. Um, but maybe. I, I, so do you do you think they beat SC? Yeah. You do. Oh yeah. But I'm just going to tell you. I talked to Robert Carpenter today. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't think they're going to win. Okay. I really, I really didn't talk to Robert. <laughs> well, I, I saw his post on the board, and he said he doesn't think they're going to win. Oh, I didn't see that. He did. Yeah, he he said okay. it, and he said it in a "I'm not doing this as a reverse jinx" kind of way. But if you were going to do a reverse, you wouldn't. Mojo. You wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. So, do we really know? Yeah. Do we really know? This is all Robert Carpentier, like, next-level mind games here, don't you think? Not just with us, but, I mean, I think it directly is 
I think it's impact- a, I think it's his own mind. I think he's got mind games of his own mind. You don't think it's impacting the games, really? You really don't? No. You have you have texted me at times during a game, and I texted you, and you said, "Oh, now they're losing." So well, that that's just pure superstition. Look, we can't we can't be all we can't be rational all the time. <laughs> um, but no, of course it doesn't have any impact on the games. He better pick them to lose, though. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, imagine if he didn't right now. I think people would go find him in Minnesota. Yeah, and, they would. Yeah. They would string him up by his yeah. shirt tails. Um, yeah. All right, what are we going to talk about with football now? Do we got to do that? Oh, we got to talk about that, right? Are, we don't want to talk about any more basketball. Okay, I'd love to talk uh, about more basketball, but I'm I'm told that we have to talk about football. <laughs> uh, um, UCLA football starts spring That's, ball. Woohoo! Spring football starts tomorrow. We love spring ball. Spring, spring football. Starts. Spring football. Hey. Okay. All right. Uh, the third spring of Chip Kelly's time at UCLA kicks off. Um, UCLA is having open practices, so if you want to go check it out, that'll be great. You can do that. Come and join me out there on Lot 8. Yeah. You can watch from the uh, beautiful confines of uh the parking lot uh be sure not to take out your cell phone um because there will be security there that will be very angry with you if they see even a glint from the screen of your cell phone let's do this i wrote that story today about (laughs) questions heading into spring practice i thought it was very good so (laughs) uh, i really didn't i really thought i Okay, uh, some of the questions. I mean, we do not – the status of Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I mean, I was just purely speculating based on that after he said that mm, kind of uh, denigrating comment toward UCLA. Fudge, fudge UCLA. Yeah, that his status was like, you know, to be determined. I, and I didn't – I have to admit, I've been trying to run it down, but there's a lid on this one. So – he very well will walk out on that on that field tomorrow and in practice, but we'll see. And then the question on him is, how does he look? Right? I yeah. mean, um, the defensive coaching staff. Uh, Johnny today, Nansen John, now announced as the defensive line Johnny coach. Johnny Nansen coached defensive line nine years ago. I think it was at Washington. I didn't know I that he had ever coached defensive line, so that is news to me. Yes, yes. Uh, just almost not in a decade. Um, it'll be very interesting to see that dynamic if uh, defensive coordinator Jerry Azanero is still just kind of walking around. What Jerry used to do is walk around, and then he'd come over to the defensive sled and say a few things. But let's see if he's more hands-on. That, that will be interesting to see. And we get to watch Brian Norwood, the new uh, defensive back coach who on his Twitter page had called himself co-defensive coordinator for about nine hours. Well, he does have that sweet uh, Demetrius Martin title of um, passing game coordinator. Yeah. Which I love. Which is, which is always interesting, passing game coordinator for a defensive backs coach, right? It's just a way to get them more money, and so I respect it. Um but yeah, 
yeah. Okay, but yeah, calling so, himself co-defensive coordinator is cool and maybe gives us an indication about what he'll uh, what his yep. duties might actually entail. Yep. Offensive line depth chart. There is a rumor that the alleged offensive lineman who's moving the defensive line is Antonio Maffi, and we will find that out tomorrow. That's exciting. We will find we will find out Sean Ryan's at left tackle, which you, you would think they would keep him there just to lock down that position. I still think Alec Anderson might be one of the top five linemen, and and the mantra of all offensive line coaches is get your best five on the field. So that will be interesting to see if he's among the best five. Yep. Uh, to see how if Duke Clemens is over two hundred and seventy pounds, two seventy five. That'd be great for him. And then to see those young guys, I really want to. I the thing I'm looking forward to probably the most is the OLDL one on ones, which they usually don't have on the first day, and see how Josh Carlin, Bo Taylor, how those guys hold up. Yeah. Um, then, as you wrote today in your linebacker preview, oh, the most turnover and the most uncertainty of probably any unit, you would have to say. Yeah, we correct? have no idea. Um, I mean, we have some idea, but like the actual, like you know, when the when the rubber meets the road, is that the phrase? That's a yeah. phrase. It's some phrase. Who knows? Uh, yeah. When the rubber meets the road, um, you know, things happen. Rubber burns. Um, we've got a lot of ideas. Bo Calvert, who's played minimally, um, looks like the number one inside linebacker. Okay, how's that going to play out? We don't really know. We've watched him some. But you don't really know until they're actually, and not even spring ball, though spring ball, in years past, we would talk about this, but you had an indication watching spring and fall camp of those linebackers who had the real nose for the ball. Chris Barnes never really had it in the way that an Eric Kendricks had it, in the way that Jalen Brown had it. Um, I'm interested to see if Bo Calvert has it. Like if he is just always there, like always at the point of attack, making the tackle, because they've really missed that. For I don't know three years running now, um, so getting... we're always good at second guessing positions. I think personally, Bo Calvert is an outside linebacker. Then who's playing th- inside for you, Trace? No, I don't think I don't think they're going to move him there. No, no, I think but, that's. What... Uh, but I mean, like, say he did get moved there. Like, who on this team do you think can play true Mike linebacker? Is it John Ward? Uh, I would say he's probably not ready by next year. I would say that. Um, I don't know. Caleb Johnson, the JC transfer, we'll see if he's capable of playing. If they're going to go for like faster guys who can range, maybe they go with him and Carl's, Carl Jones, two smaller guys. I would pay a lot um, of money to watch speed at linebacker instead of whatever they were running out there last year. Hey, my favorite linebacker, I mean, I'd have to say, even though – Eric Hendricks was amazing to watch. My favorite linebacker was Jayon Brown. <laughs> yeah. Jayon I just cool. love watching him play. And what was he? 5'11", 210 pounds? Something like that. Yeah. I yeah. think he might have bumped so, up to like 220 by the time he was done. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite plays in the NFL was that play where he – did you see where he leapt over the yeah. offensive line? And, oh, God. That was fantastic. Yeah, he's great. Um, okay. Uh, what else do we have, Dave? We have, um, running back. Who's, you'd have to think Martell Irby is going to start out. I mean, I'm sorry. 
Demetrius Felton will probably start out. You know, they they all walk out in the field. They all line up. Who's designated the number one guy? It's absolutely probably going to be absolutely probably going to be Demetrius Felton. Absolutely probably maybe going to be Demetrius Felton. Yeah, I agree. But who is who's the guy who looks like he's going to be the more every down guy? Is that Martel Irby? I think you, I, I, you have to hope that Irby is now healthy um, and can get back to something like the form he had towards the end of his first year. He looked goodish um, at that point. Like he'd learned a little bit from working under Joshua Kelly. I don't, the thing is looking at all these guys and obviously McClendon's still kind of an unknown. He hasn't generated a whole lot of buzz, but still kind of an unknown. I don't see uh, Joshua Kelly in this group. There's nobody no. who even had that buzz, you know, because you were, you know, blowing the the Joshua Kelly horn for a while, um, <laughs> but not, but not his. Bad. You know what okay, I'm saying? Thanks. You get what yeah, I'm saying here, Tracy. Um, I know it was just it's funny. It's it's funny. It's a funny phrase. You were tooting yeah. that horn. Tooting that horn. Does that sound better or worse? Sorry. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so there's nobody like that. Um, Britton Brown, a guy I'm very familiar with because he was on my fantasy college football team last year. He uh, was. He was. Did uh, you did you make any points off him since he was injured, right? He was not injured at the very beginning of oh, the year. Um, okay. And he was fine. Um, I don't know really. I, looking at his statistical profile, I don't see Joshua Kelly. Um, so. No. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, I, I know we're not ranking these things, but this is probably one of my number one concerns heading into next year. And it's gotten more and more since I think we talked about it at the tail end of the season, which is what the hell does this offense do without Joshua Kelly? Because we saw what it did without Joshua Kelly at different points the last couple of years, and it wasn't pretty. My number one concern, actually. Yeah. Without, without Joshua Kelly, without we saw what the offense looked like without him. So you don't have anyone who can do that. The offense can't move the ball because he masked a lot of problems with offenses. Without him, it's just not going to be as effective or efficient. The defense is then on the field more, which will make some of the problems at linebacker and secondary exacerbated. It's it's going to be like a, a domino effect starting – with the loss of Joshua Kelly. I'd have to say I'm serious about this. I think Cole Kinder is going to compete. Are you there? Yeah, I'm oh I'm here. I'm here. I'm just just taking that all in. They I, have I know have, I know that yeah, they ahead. have fifteen scholarship running backs. No, I'm not exact counting, but it does feel that way. And you're telling me that a walk on has a chance to compete. Do you think I'm I'm just taking like a little bit of slight pleasure in the fact that they have nine scholarship players and I'm saying a walk-on's going to compete? I do. <laughs> um, and, and the only reason why it's so fun is because it's plausible. Well, and the thing is, I'm not – and don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking Cole Kinder. And when I watched him last year, I'm like, that guy can play. Um, yeah. But you should not be in a position really ever – and this is true of even like – I mean – Joshua Kelly has turned out to be really good, but that's that's like the exception that proves the rule. Sure, fine. Um, Kinder is not that. He, he's a good, solid player. He shouldn't be competing to start or competing for meaningful playing time on a good team. 
um, with nine scholarship running backs. Like that shouldn't be yeah. happening. Um, yeah. So that's it a concern right there. A complete illustration of, of really, really poor player management at running back is what that will be. Yeah. Um, uh, really curious to see Colson Yankoff. Yes. See how good he is to see. There's a lot riding on that, actually. Um, Especially given your number one question. There's the number one question. If there's any issues with Dorian Thompson Robinson, number two question for the QB2. Will Austin Burton grad transfer after he graduates this year? I mean, you've got to think that that's a possibility. Uh, We've heard that Chase Griffin was not, is, you know, is doesn't project to be able to really contribute uh, at least next article. year. The fact that Chase Griffin isn't a power five level talent. That is, that is, that's icy cold. Well, that, okay. That, okay. He's let's just say that's true. There are plenty of people who still play at the pack five level that aren't pack, pack five level talent. There's plenty of mountain West guys playing in the, in the pack 12. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He, he could he could play there. He just might not be effective. Yeah. So Colson Yankov, that's going to be very very interesting. And of course, we have not gotten a look at him. Yes, because uh, yet because we can only during the season we are only able to watch the first twenty minutes. Yeah. Of practice and they didn't do much. Uh, tight end. Another big void. Yeah, I'm I'm that's another thing for me. It's Joshua Kelly and even beyond offensive line, the key for the offense the last two years have been Joshua Kelly and Caleb Wilson then slash Devin Asiasi. Yep. And they don't have that go to at tight end either. I think Michael Martinez could play a good role. He's a big kid, he'll be a good blocking. Back. He's not a natural pass catcher, but he'll be able to make you know catch a pass or two here or there. But you know the Caleb Wilson, you know Caleb Wilson, you know could catch ten balls in a game and not flinch. And Devin Asiasi had that had that capability too. I, I don't see anyone in this group. Um, really curious to see Michael Zeke at tight end. We heard about that, and then the new transfer from Miami, Evidence and Joku, best name on the team. Um, but I think that's another issue that that's where UCLA's offense is really dependent on a go-to guy and will one emerge during the spring. Yep. I've got a really critical question for you. Okay, go. Well, it's unrelated. Are you going to keep talking about tight ends? No, I'm moving on. Can we talk about the starting punter and starting kicker? Absolutely. This is critical and important stuff. It, are you? Yeah. No, I think it is. I'm just you saying. Know? I'm just saying it's important. You, you're taking from that something sarcastic, and I'm not. I'm not saying that. You're sarcastic like 89 percent of the time. It's true. Okay. It's true. Um, um, we've got the 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 fighting Flintoffs. Um, there's another one. <laughs> uh, Colin Flintoft. Yes. A, a cousin, a brother, cousin, a friend. Cousin. He's a cousin. A friend, a Roman, a countryman. Colin Flintoft. Um, he uh, he looked pretty decent. I remember I watched him a little bit last spring, and he looked decent. And decent. that was before we knew um, what's his face was coming in. 
Jeez, I'm blanking yeah. completely on the Australian guy's name. Should I tell you or should I just let you just languish in terror right uh, now? Languish. Let me languish. Let me just... Uh, mm. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. No, it's gone. Fully gone. Uh, Wade Lees. There we go. That's his name. You know what? I want to be completely honest with you and everyone out there. That wouldn't have come to me in yeah. 15 minutes. Like, I would have been sitting here going, <laughs> got nothing. I would have had to Google yeah. it. There would have been bad times for everybody. That's right. You know, that's what I respect right now is that you didn't quickly Google it, Dave. You just, no, you went no, down, would... you went down with your old man father brain. Yeah, no, but yeah. like be in the moment, you know, just enjoy <laughs> and really partake of the moment. So, yeah, new punter and new kicker. Another thing, <laughs> another thing that this team really has to prove by fall and they haven't had this situation i mean let's count wade lees as an experienced punter when's the last i can't even remember the last time uh i can't remember the last time they had an inexperienced punter or kicker much less both of them that they that they had to plug in in a season so there's that um the one thing i'm really looking forward to is seeing all the new the newbies, the early entrants, um, how they look, how they, you know, just eyeballing them. Um, Mitchell Agude does not look like an outside linebacker, but maybe, you know, he'll he'll be more of just a pass-rushing guy from the edge that way. Um, but just how they all look. I'm real, I, you know, Logan Loya was one of my favorite high school players last season, so I'm looking forward to watching him on the practice field. Uh and John Humphreys. Humphreys is one of my favorite too. So those two guys will be very fun just to see how how actual good they are when they walk off walk onto the field. Is that so the picture you posted of these guys is that's a good day on the far right, right? Yeah, yeah. Look at his legs next to Mestador's. <laughs> like just look at and his you know calves. What? I was there the day I was there when a good day was there in practice last Last spring, uh-huh. and I thought he—I thought he looked very, very large. Um, and he—he—he he, he seemed to be watching the defensive ends at the time. I—I I was there when uh, Mestador was there. Separate days. I thought Mestador looked pretty big. <laughs> I mean, look at a—I mean, the angle's kind of off. Yeah, but he's dwarfing him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and another guy I would say is looking a little bit bigger like just not even just like weight wise but just his legs look thicker uh shea bryant strother looks bigger than i was expecting too yeah yeah he's gonna i think he has the potential to be a good player he might he probably might be a little raw but he's athletic obviously pretty big uh tall long uh it'll be interesting to see where he plugs into i mean i think he's gonna start off at outside linebacker but he might prove to be an inside linebacker. All those guys, it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, you got four, what am we talking about? What kind of five guys right there that I think Caleb Johnson is the guy we know will be inside. Everyone else is just kind of a crapshoot at this yeah. point. It'll be fun. So when are you coming out? You're not, you're coming out in April, right? I'll be out in April to check out oh. the second half of spring ball. I'm sure Chip is looking forward to seeing you. No, I'm sure he is. Sure he is. <laughs> My man, Chip. Our, our friend, so Dave, our, your friend and mine, Chip Kelly. 
Don't you think there are so... Do you remember a time when there were so many question marks? I mean, even the last couple of years when UCLA wasn't very good, spring... I mean, last spring, there were not nearly this many question marks. I mean, they had secondary lockdown. They had the linebackers lockdown, the defensive line. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think... There's a lot they ha- they have to they have to sort out a lot by fall. Yeah, honestly. I mean, literally every single starting linebacker is going to be different this year. Yeah, um, that's yeah. a lot. In my that's expert a lot. medical I, opinion, I, that's a lot. I don't ever remember having to find starters every starter on a unit before. Well, and like, let's go back just a step. Um, one thing I, I kind of theorized about in the defensive line preview, but we don't really know yet, is are they going to run more of that 4-3 type stuff that they were doing last year, or are they going to go back to like more of the pure 3-4? And if Mafia is moving to offensive line, as is theorized, that probably lends itself more to them not going back to the pure 3-4. Because um, that would leave but it, them it basically wasn't even one a... true nose. Right. It was more of like a four, three, what was it? it I mean, it wasn't, I, I didn't know what it was because there was commonly, you had two guys who lined up as kind of uh, three techniques. There was no one knows. Then kind of two stand up edge rushers. Yeah. It was like, time. it was your typical, like almost four, two, five nickel. Um... It was a four, two, five is what it was. And then you'd have that that box safety kind of roll, right? Yeah. Or 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 the nickel. So it was a four two five. Yeah. And so if they're gonna do that, well, then that changes exactly what you need with everything. Um, so it's I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to like analyze formations and stuff. I know there's only so much you can take from spring, but looking at that sort of stuff, what's going on in the front seven, how they are doing things a little bit differently than last year if they are or if they just go back to the well now that they're starting another season uh that'll be interesting what's interesting to me is a few things about this four two five ish um i like this kind of i like speed and quickness it always tended to work in college football unless you got up against a really big grinded out offense going up against stanford <laughs> didn't used to work against Stanford. Uh, Nebraska, well, what was, there was that one bowl game, the Foster Chicken Bowl thing against Nebraska. Remember that? Yep. Um, so there aren't too many teams like that left in college football, really, especially in the Pac-12, first off. But this is what I find curious when you hire a coach, you, you, what you want, especially in a coordinator, is that he just recently came off a stint where he was very successful with a scheme. And then he moves right into you, right? Into your, and he plugs it in. It was just successful in what has been happening in college football recently. Um, they've been adapting this scheme and this attack for, I mean, we're going, we're going on three years, right? Yeah. Um, They decided 
they first started recruiting, they wanted a nose tackle, which was 340 pounds, and then they wanted defensive ends who were 6'6", and you know, would end up being 265, 270. And then they found out that those are hard to find. And then they found out that Oso Digazua was perhaps their best defensive lineman. We like his quickness matched up against slower offensive. So it, this thing's evolved. They're trying to find, they're trying to find a system. And I, I think you should, at UCLA at this level, with the kind of money you should be paying a coordinator, you shouldn't be sorting out systems. You should hire a guy who comes in and brings a successful system to your program. Yeah, and whatever you've done, you shouldn't still be sorting out your initial system three years in. Right. Just fundamentally. Um, yeah. All this testing and crap would have been fine your first spring and even your second spring. Heading into your third spring, come on. Come on. Like yeah. Jim Mora had an idea of what kind of defense he wanted to run, and then what was it, midseason, where they decided Dalton Hilliard was going to be their nickel linebacker because they needed to start running a nickel defense? Yeah. Like, you you adapt on the fly, and then, oh, okay, so that's the way we have to do things. All right, now we're going to do that going forward. And that was their basically their base defense for another year. And then Miles Jack made all base defenses irrelevant. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's all oh, wow, okay, they settled on the thing that every single other defensive staff in the league has basically settled on, which is you have to run a nickel defense. Well, good. Glad they got there, but come on. Um, offensively, you think we're going to see any changes with the fact that they won't have a whole bevy of tight ends? Are they going to adjust anything from a personnel standpoint? Are we going to really know from what we see in spring? Um, did we see much change in the scheme from season one to season two? Uh, not, not, not so really. There's less fourteen personnel, more, right? I think. It, was it right? Was it less thirteen and more fourteen, or was it more thirteen and less fourteen? Hard to. Why say. do I think there's? I think there's a lot of fourteen in 2018. <laughs> um, not that big of a change. We need Chris Osgood to tell us how much yeah. change, but. But not really. I mean, it's still the same scheme. There's variations. There's matchups game to game. But pr pretty much still the same The same scheme. I mean, we know what this is now. It's a pro-style offense. It's, it's really heavily based on the run. It's utilizing tight ends to get extra blocking. And, and that's where it basically comes from. It's a run first offense. And if you can't run really effectively, I think it's going to, the offense will struggle. Um, and that's a question. I think in one of your pre previews, you wrote how they're rushing uh, effectiveness went down from 2018 to 2019. Is that correct? That is correct. So I don't know. I'm skeptical. I'm really, really skeptical that they can improve that statistic. Um, yeah. Well, especially without a Joshua Kelly. Um, and that's my like, main thing. Yeah. Yeah. With likely not changing a whole lot schematically. Um, yeah. So I, I'll be interested to see that. Maybe maybe he 
look, I, I can still hold out hope, right? Can't I here at this late stage? If he comes out running the blur tomorrow, well, <laughs> just go for it, buddy. You can do it. How, how many times have, have we asked him about I mean, in those scrums, we've asked him so many times. He and full he's... on got, like, sensitive one time. I think it was Bolch who finally asked it and made him sensitive, where uh, it was like, so why are you not running the blur, basically? And he's like... Uh, well, that was seven years ago, and really, you you should start bar- stop barking up that tree or something like that. Yeah, it was full yeah. like, oh, you're getting you're getting upset about this now. It's like, right, buddy. The reason people keep asking you about it <laughs> is because it was like the best offense in the country for four years, and then you just stopped running it. It's not like you tried to run it and it failed. You just stopped. That 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 will that will in that will cause questions until you continue until you run an offense that was at least as good. That's what's going to happen. And, and I okay, I think there are a lot of advantages to this offense uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I tend to agree that you know a blur or a blur type offense is not going to be have the jump on defenses like it did back in that era. It still can be very effective, but. There's a there's a ceiling to how effective. I also think that running a pro style offense is attractive for recruits. They want to you know all they want to do is get the NFL. They want to learn pro style concepts. Get all that, like all that, but you have to recruit and you have to recruit a running back and really good offensive lineman. And so far, I was saving up this story and. I just never got to it, and but the basic assertion here is the first two cycles under Chip Kelly, recruiting cycles, has that kind of really set him so far behind that it's going to be very hard for him to, ma- to make up for it and be successful? Yeah. Um, because when the talent from those two first years matures, are they talented enough to really get nine or 10 wins? I think we'd have to be suspect of that. Well, and really uh, we're, we're talking, uh, just take a step back from what you just even theorized. Um, that's a Colorado plan. That's a, that's an Oregon state plan, which is, yeah, build up your guys in the program. And then maybe you'll have a nine or 10 win season every four years. That's not no. That's not that's not what anybody signed up for with Chip Kelly at UCLA. It's not what when we were talking about Chip Kelly two years ago, heading into his third year, it was okay. That's the point at which it should be rolling. Like it should be ten, eleven wins, competing for the Pac-12 title, the whole thing. Um, if you're not there in your third year at UCLA, you're doing the job wrong um, at some level. You're either coaching it wrong or you're recruiting it wrong. I think Chip Kelly's probably doing a little bit of both, um, but I would say by and large, it's recruiting it wrong, um, not taking advantage of the true. The the only reason you would want the UCLA job in the first place, he has basically denied as an asset, which is crazy yeah. to me. Um, yeah. You want the UCLA job because it is easy to recruit. It is relatively easy to recruit. It is a top 15 recruiting job. You can go there and you can get talent at a top 20 level without doing a whole lot. But you do have to especially, do a little. Especially when USC is down. Yeah, but you do have to do a little. 
and they haven't done yeah. it. Um, yeah. And so if you're going to do that and you're going to deny the advantage, why take this job? That's the part I'm, I'm, I'm going to struggle with for a while. I, I think because I, if you're legitimately asking that question, I think it's because he thought I, I, he thought he'd be able to come to UCLA because of the benefits in recruiting combined with his name. Recruiting would be a lot easier, something he doesn't necessarily savor, and that that combination would work to get him talent without having to put that much uh, dedicate that much coaching time into recruiting. I mean, obviously ill-conceived because there, there ain't any program that recruits well at three and nine and then four and eight, no matter, no matter what, where you are. Um, I think seriously, I think it really comes down to one thing. We can speculate a lot about this team, you know, what players need to step up, what units, what running back, so much is going to depend on the schedule next year and because this is always impossible we always go in we try all the preseason magazines say this team's this good you you and i write our little preview but all the teams most of the time end up different from our preseason preview than when UCLA actually takes the field against them almost yeah. every time how these teams and how this schedule ends up how the strength of schedule, how tough the schedule is, is going to determine it. Um, if this is a tough schedule and they only get five or six wins, I, I think how good these opponents are will determine it's not up to UCLA. It's up to how good these teams are. It's not like you – if you had a really good, talented team, you'd pretty much say, ah, oh, the – the variable on how your opponents could be isn't really going to matter because they're they're probably they're going to be favored in all these games. That's not true. I, I, there are probably given what UCLA is and what they will be going into the season, there are probably eight games where you really wouldn't even be able to say right now who would be favored going into that game. No, it'd be so tough. It'd be tough. That's uh, a really random thing. Just think about it. That we. Given UCLA and given – there's a lot of turnover in the Pac-12. There, I mean, you can't look at any team and say, wow, they're going to be really good next year, right? Yeah. Compared to last year where you thought there were, you know, a good a – few, a few that you thought would be really – you were certain Utah was going to be good. I don't know if there's any certainty like that with any team. So – it's it's going to be it's a major mystery at this point just how we don't there's so many uncertainties on the team and a lot of uncertainty in the Pac-12. I mean, is Arizona State going to be good? That's the idea. Everyone assumes they're going to be better, right? Yeah. Or at least as good. At least as good. Yeah, they were eight and five last year, so you would think, uh, you know, eight or nine win team. Their schedule is also cake. They've got a really easy schedule, right? But just how good they are in a matchup against UCLA, you know? I mean, they should beat UCLA. I mean, but it's again, that's like the to your point. That's the sixth game of the year. A lot thing, a lot of things can happen by then. And Cal, which is the twelfth game, shouldn't Cal beat UCLA? Given- Cal, Cal should be legit next year. 
They return basically every single like body on offense. Like not just the starters, but like their entire roster. And right now, Oregon State, given what we know about UCLA and the fact that Oregon State beat yep. UCLA last I mean, wouldn't at at Corvallis? No, I mean I look I at know. the schedule and I know we talked about it years ago as like an easy schedule. That's uh, what I'm saying. It's, it's not. Changed. I mean, at Hawaii, Todd Graham's there now, but that was a decent Hawaii team last year. At San Diego State, that's nothing easy. Um, Chip Kelly in the non-conference is like a legit data point at this point. He doesn't have a non-conference win at UCLA. Um, That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, So you look at those first three games, New Mexico State, that should be an easy win. And I think even with that, that should still be a win for UCLA. But two road games in non-con, I don't think you can count either of those as a win. Um, Stanford at the Rose Bowl. Stanford should be a little bit better next year. Um, Arizona, maybe that's a win. At ASU, no way. At Carl Durrell's Colorado Buffaloes? <laughs> Come on, baby. That's going to be a fun game. It will be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, and me and Dimitri, Dimitri Martin. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yeah, I, I look at this and I see... Uh, a range of possibilities, but based on what yeah. we've seen the last couple of years, I've got to figure UCLA is going to underachieve. Like I, I, I would, I would look at this and say, okay, they should be a six and six, seven and five. And then I downgrade it. Cause I'm like, well, I thought, you know, they'd be a little bit better than they were the last year. And I thought they'd be a lot better than they were two years ago. So I don't know. And USC should probably be the best team. In USC the South, or ASU but... is going to be the best team in the South. Hey, Dave, how many people have already turned off this podcast? Um, I think because a lot of people, talking, a lot of people we, when we stopped talking about basketball at the 32-minute mark. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, Thanks I'm about for ready hanging to turn in, guys. It's, it's 11.30 my time right now. Oh, damn. Let's get you to sleep. Okay. Need to do it. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, football is going to be fun. Don't. Don't worry about anything we've said. It's going to be great. You're going to have a great day. They got, they got great uniforms. Great, beautiful uniforms. Consistently great. rated among the best. And the Rose Bowl, iconic. It's a great iconic. place to watch a game. Yeah. Come on out. Come on out to the Rose Bowl and catch a good football game. Hey, I'm, football I'm game. optimistic that they're gonna, we're going to get some answers uh, at, in spring practice. There we so go. let's just leave it. Let's leave it on that. Let's have some answers. All right. Well, okay. for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Burn Report Online, UCLA side on the 24/7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all later.